Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Let's let's plunge into this bad boy. Mm, I am Hans. <laughs> and I'm Franz. And we're here to plunge <laughs> you, up. you up. What's wrong with us? You started it. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Franz. <laughs> Fuck you. That's Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I had I had to get that one in. Uh, so now <laughs> you have to keep that outtake in. Otherwise, I guess so. this joke doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dylan. And we're here to talk to you about games and storytelling and storytelling uh, across medium. We're actors. That's what we do. Uh, and we hope one that you're take, having... Nice. What's up? I'm sorry. I'm done talking shit. Continue. <laughs> this is so what happens when we do a morning cast. Yeah, honestly, every morning cast is a fucking shit show. But here we are. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk today about a piece of the storytelling pie that is essential and a way that games are able to engage with it in a very interesting way. And that is character design and specifically character redesign and how... Uh, a character's appearance changing either in the same game or across multiple entries in a game series can be a useful visual shorthand for that character's story and that character's uh, arc. And we've got a few fun examples of that. I think it's going to be fun. We This time we prepared for our episode more than we usually do. At least a little bit. At least a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking I wanted to get a couple out of the way that we didn't bring up before the episode, so we know we're not talking about them. Yes. Okay. Uh, so when I when I think of uh, character redesigns in games, it's usually through like collecting upgrades, and uh, that changes your character's appearance, and it, it provides this idea of you as the player and the character you're controlling growing more powerful. So... I think the best examples of this are Samus from Metroid, which we talk mm -hmm. about all the time. Yep. And uh, <laughs> Friend of the Mega show, Samus Aran. <laughs> and X from the Mega Man X series, uh, where you can replay levels and find, like, secret upgrades that change his appearance. And, you know, your uh, the list of options you have available grows. And also, like, in the story, it feels like X is becoming more powerful. There is that constant feedback loop of feeling good about yourself yeah there's also that element in um a lot of like online rpgs world of warcraft etc of like you get new gear that 
looks different. And, you know, typically the gear starts to look, and I'm going to put this in quotes, cooler as the stats get better. <laughs> not hating on Warcraft design, but like, boy, howdy, they have a very particular aesthetic and it's not my favorite. It's not quite mine either. <laughs> but there's, there's that sort of element as well. That's also not quite what we're going to be talking about today. But I agree that getting getting the, the ones that we're not saying out of the way first is probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> to kick off, character design is a really important element of making sure that your story starts off on a good point. Especially in a medium like games where you get a lot less dialogue time than a film or a play. Games are uniquely challenged to convey as little of their story in word as possible. <laughs> I don't know the stats. I watched a video on this years ago, and it was like the average game, even while being, you know, 10 to 20 times longer than your average film, has like, on average, you know, the same amount of dialogue or less. <laughs> yeah. And so... The more you can do to inform about the character, especially about, like, main characters and main supporting cast of your game through the way they look, the better. And a, a game that we we both were like, yes, this is very good to talk about, uh, was the Fire Emblem series. Yes. Those games have some really solid character design, even as the games have gone on and they've been getting, like, more and more and more... Divisive. Like, yeah. I, I won't I won't necessarily say that like any of the later designs are bad. But, no, like, I don't they, think they, they certainly are. have they certainly have been divisive. It's just like a difference in art style. Yeah, they have they have been going more and more for a like modern anime aesthetic while yeah. they started in somewhere between like a traditional anime style and like a more western aesthetic. Uh yeah, kinda. Kind like I I, th I think it was always it was always fantasy, but like I feel like the Japanese aesthetic for fantasy has changed over the decades to Definitely. kind of splinter off into its own thing. Definitely. Um, like, there's a difference between Berserk and Sword Art Online. Very, very... <laughs> that, that <laughs> did, is, did I nail it? <laughs> you, you nailed it with, like... It's one of those statements where it's like, it's so obvious I'd never stop to, like, compare them. <laughs> and then you said that out loud, and it's like Aku just tore open a portal in time. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> but Fire Emblem is a really cool example because in every Fire Emblem game, your characters that you control... Let me begin again. Fire Emblem is a series of tactical roleplay-ish games. You typically take on the part of a the leader of some sort of military or mercenary organization, uh, or sometimes you're just like a noble trying to get somewhere and gathering allies along the way or whatever it happens yeah. to be. But you... Traditionally, the, the formula for every Fire Emblem game is that you are a noble or you are working for a noble who, because of war, has had to flee their home, and you're now fighting to get back and liberate your home from an evil empire. Exactly. And... So you play by controlling a, an assortment of different characters and units. And as the game series has progressed, it's gone more and more in on each of the characters that you control having their own sort of arcs that you can explore, very much being characters, not just being like, ah, this is my knight. Ah, this yes. is my axeman. I um, know this mage because we went to the academy together. Yeah. And then there's like no further... Uh... <laughs> 
Yeah, that, they, that's that's your flavor text for this uh, digital piece of stats. Exactly, and they've moved much more in a direction of like you can ha- like watch cutscenes between battles of different characters talking to one another and developing relationships, and like we've talked a little bit about that in the past, and it's a very cool thing. But along with that, your characters have two different forms essentially. Most characters you get over the course of the game begin as a class, for example, fighter or knight or uh, cavalier, cavalier, or in the case of uh, one example that I'd like to talk about, the main character Ike from Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, you start out as a class called ranger. And then every class, once they hit level 20, the next time they level up, or in some games you have to, you know, jump through a couple different hoops to make this happen, they achieve like a rank change and so fighters turn into warriors and knights turn into generals and cavaliers turn into paladins and their visual design changes but for the main character that typically comes not only with a change in the model but also a change in like the key art for them that you see in cutscenes and a change in all of their animations that you see in like the story moments exclusive to to ike but i i get where you're coming from (laughs) Well, that's why I wanted to talk about Ike, you see, for this topic. Ike is is pretty cool. Shut up. (laughs) You're dumb. Um, I know I am. Uh, So Ike starts out as a ranger, and he's got, like, you know, a kind of ratty old cape. He's got some cobbled together pieces of armor. He's got, like, a tattered... He's very much a backwoods mercenary. Yeah, and his design reflects that. Nothing on his outfit seems to match correctly. And then when he achieves his rank change at that point in the story where he is promoted to being a lord and changes his class to lord, he gets a whole visual overhaul. And not only is it, like, not really any less haphazardly put together, but, like, nicer looking gear. Yeah. Like, he's still got a very hodgepodge kind of armor aesthetic going on, which I really like because, again, that just speaks to who this character is. I think that's just his personality, yeah. Yeah. Like, he, this is telling the story of a guy who doesn't really give a shit how he looks, but now being a lord, he has to kind of... He has to kind of try to... Yeah, so he's like, fine, I'll, I'll get more expensive shit to clap onto my body. <laughs> but they also update that key art, and in doing so, not only does what he's wearing change, but, like, his posture changes. Suddenly, when he's a ranger, he's got this sort of, like, not hunch, but he's kind of, like leaning forward he looks very brash he's got he's posed in such a way that speaks to like a very like direct direct running right in like i'm gonna get this done kind of personality when he becomes a lord it's right before he's made like the general of this entire liberation army and they change him to like he's a little more upright he's still got like a very kind of like i'm gonna tell you how it is sort of posture but he looks a little more reserved. He looks a little bit older. He looks a little bit more experienced. And that's like... Fire Emblem Path of Radiance is one of my favorite games for the GameCube. It's a f- fantastic game. It's and, a good one. <laughs> and things like that, things like that sort of attention to character are one of the reasons I love it so much. Like, that's a really good way of exemplifying the story that this character has gone through to this point And the loss that he's experienced and like the tempering of that youthful energy while also setting him up for that next ch- step of the storytelling. Um, also mechanically, uh, when a character ranks up, not a whole lot changes. Like, I think the primary benefit of ranking up is that you gain a massive stat boost. True. So, essentially, Ike, 
in addition to all this character stuff, like, when you play the game, he is a more capable fighter because he just gets, like, a massive overhaul in, like, how he plays, and he's just now better than a lot of units surrounding him. Yeah. And that's, again, speaks to him coming into his own in a way. Path of Radiance is very much a story about, like, Ike and his family trying to keep shit together. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember, Chris. Does Ike get ether uh, after he gets promoted? He does not automatically get ether, You, but that is the... the the skill that he gets if you use uh, an occult scroll scroll on him. Okay, okay. But yeah, that's the other thing is once he ranks up, he gets access to this very powerful ability if you choose to devote the resources to, which, like, you should because he has to be in every single fight. Yeah, and he also has a one-on-one. We're getting... I'm sorry. We're getting away from (laughs) it, but, like, that's... That is a really good, like, in a nutshell example of what we're talking about here and what kind of, like the mindset behind this idea of character change visually being a useful storytelling technique is. I think it's also worth noting that there is a sequel to the game that Ike is in, in which he goes from, like, 15 to, like, I don't remember how many th- years are between I think the two it's games. Like a, I think it's, like, a five- or ten-year gap. It's, it looks like it, because he like, goes from, like, teenager to big beefy boy. Yeah, and, like, Soth, who's, like, nine in Path of Radiance is the one of the main characters in the first chapter of Radiant Dawn, and he looks like he's in his early 20s, I would guess. Like I said, I don't remember exactly, but it's yeah, definitely Yeah, I, I, I don't want to get away from years. it, but, like, you know, it's, like, on top of the change within the single game, there's also a change between uh, this game and its sequel, and it's just, like, this constant, like, oh, man, Ike is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> he's never and, gonna stop being cool. And then in that sequel, like you said, he's he's much bigger. He he looks like a... He's got a he's beach a bob going on. Um, but again, they, they also, like... I love that because his key art, he looks... He's kept the, like, slightly more upright stature of his Lord key art from Path of Radiance, but then he's also, like... He looks, like, a little more relaxed... He looks a little more chill. He's definitely had time to, like, come into his own a little more. And you can see that in his character design. He, uh, he goes back to his old colors as well. Yep. Which is okay, a it's, very it's good Okay, it's three look. years. I hmm? just looked it up. It's three years. Dang, it seemed like a lot more in terms of how some of those characters changed. Well, three, three years in anime years is a lot. That's true. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Soth is in the hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah, um, yeah. Man, that's, that's for, like, two people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many of our <laughs> listeners actually yeah. watch Dragon Ball Z. Who's, who is the who is the Venn diagram of people who really give a shit about these two games for the GameCube and Wii and are also big Dragon Ball Z fans? Probably not <laughs> tiny. But I don't think our listener base really covers <laughs> it. Another uh, game series that we wanted to talk about with regards to this that... Boy, howdy, there's a lot in this series to talk about. Kingdom Hearts. Oh, Kingdom yeah. Hearts character design, so good. It's it's garish, but, like, in a lovable <laughs> yeah. way. <laughs> the Zippers are my friend. Not Pete's. Pete's Zipper is my best friend. Shut up. All right. And you... <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Kingdom Hearts. This is your fault. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, for people who don't know, Kingdom Hearts is a... It's, it's like a crossover series between Final Fantasy and Disney, except it's increasingly become its own thing it's a weird beast to describe um but the the core premise is that you are playing as a you're playing as a kid named Sora 
and he goes around traveling from world to world uh, with his two friends, Donald, Duck, and Goofy. <laughs> and all, most of the worlds are Disney-themed. And, they become the greatest heroes yeah. of the multiverse. Yeah, they, they do it to either save the galaxy or sometimes it's to find their friends. Sometimes it's to, you know, it, it varies from game to game. But, you know, it's just the happy-go-lucky adventures of anime boy and his two Disney friends. <laughs> You're really not wrong. On top of that, there's like a very long plot with a little convoluted, yeah, uh, but it's we, fun. It's we've fine. talked a little bit about the Kingdom Hearts plot in episodes past. That's less what we're talking about now. Thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I am not equipped. What what I wanted to focus on and what uh, Chris and I were talking about before the episode started was the, the main character, Sora, in between the first and second game, I think a year passes and dude hits a growth spurt. But on top of that, uh, he kind of outgrows his old clothes, so he needs new clothes. And they do a lot to kind of facilitate how much stronger he has grown. So in the first game, Sora has, you know, he wears primarily white with um, some primary colors uh, splashed in. And then I think there's like a black trimming on his hoodie. Uh, and that that's about it. It's a really um, cool design. Like, they managed to absolutely nail... And this goes, like, across the board for, like, Sora in his animations and everything else. Yeah. They yeah. really nail that perfect crossover of, like, the Final Fantasy, uh, Tetsuo Nomura, like, straps and silhouette aesthetic mm-hmm. with the, like, Disney goofiness. Yeah. It's very bright. It's a very, like happy-go-lucky appearance. But the coolest thing about Kingdom Hearts 2 is that because he outgrows his outfit, uh, he needs some new threads. And the redesign for Sora in Kingdom Hearts 2, I remember when I was, like, 12 or whatever in 7th grade, like, was the coolest thing. Uh, Because, so, it's the same basic silhouette as his old clothes. I think his pants go down a little further uh, to his ankles. They used to go, like, down to his uh, mid-thigh. I don't want to say it's monochromatic, but instead of, like, heavy whites and primary colors, it is now almost completely black, except there are primary color trimmings and accents. Yeah, so, they, they incorporate, like, the, brights, the bright reds and yellows and whites that made up most of his Kingdom Hearts 1 look into, like, the suspenders and, like, the shoelaces and, like, they find pockets on the outfit to put that color so it still feels like Sora. Yeah, it still has that Disney happy-go-luckiness, but like the the swap in uh in in color from white to black really implies that like and I don't want to say this like without b- oversell it, but like it does kind of imply that like this is a slightly more serious Sora. Um he's more capable. This is facilitated by his animations and the amount of actions he can do in the gameplay. Yeah. Um Sora in Kingdom Hearts 2 is a very acrobatic guy. Uh, he does some stuff that you would see in, like, the prequel Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah, and it's so <laughs> like, good. Like, jumping and flipping, and... Um, so it's 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 this really nice uh, evolution of the first Kingdom Hearts, both in, like, how he controls and also, like, how he looks. And then within... Kingdom Hearts 2, another element that's really cool is there's a mechanic in the game where you you gain access to different forms, which are essentially yes. like, as you build up a meter in combat, you can spend that meter to go into a form that enhances some element of your playstyle. 
So there's uh, Valor Form, in which you get to wield an additional Keyblade. You basically, like, turn into double scimitar cool guy, and it ups, like, all of your physical damage and, like, makes you better at that kind of thing. And there's so his wi- color palette turns red for this. Yeah. There's Wisdom Form, which comes with a blue color palette, which increases your magic. It turns your Keyblade into, like, basically a gun. You don't, like, swing it like a sword anymore. You shoot projectiles out of it. It increases so your you mobility. Have increased, yeah, you have increased movement. You can play a lot more defensively and, like, take pot shots. And it ups your uh, magic casting power and gives... I believe it gives you unlim- either unlimited mana or way more mana to spend on magic. I would have to ask Dakota. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but head. it does something to, like, refresh your spell casting resource as well. Mm. Um, then there is... Master Form, which gives you it. Master Form is my fucking favorite because it's gets it's getting into like anime god levels of <laughs> aesthetic design. It gives you like you get like a basically like a gold golden rod kind of color palette. Yeah, you've got a key, a keyblade in one hand. You are and the other one levitating the right. other keyblade around your other hand like you're a fucking badass Jedi OC. You fly rather than walk or at least like levitate yeah i don't remember what benefits it gives you stats wise i think it gives you a bit of both but honestly the last time i played kingdom hearts 2 was in middle school so yeah i don't remember exactly either and then there's final form which you know input (laughs) frieza.gif this is my final form um, in which final form is my favorite because it basically inverts your color palette yeah sora's Uh, main color palette is black with some what? Oh, sorry. I just I remember Final Form being silver. Yeah. If your regular color palette is black with those bright primary accents, Final Form is like white and silver primarily. And you just like mind you you control two keyblades floating around you with your mind powers while you fly around the stage and just like are the king of the world. But again, all of these things are reflected by these color choices. Obviously, Red, a very aggressive color, the color of fire and, like, in symbolism, a lot of, like, anger and danger. Of course they're going to make the one where you dash into the thick of things, swinging two big keys around. Of course that one's going to be red. It's obvious stuff, but, like, again, that's another element of, like, you don't need to know everything about the lore of this, like, valor form transformation. You turn red and you get an extra sword, and that tells you a lot about what the character is doing. (laughs) I also, I, I just remembered this, so before we move on from Kingdom Hearts, uh, there are two things. The first thing is, uh, another thing I really liked about the uh, first two Kingdom Hearts games is that whenever you, actually even Kingdom Hearts 3 has it, but whenever you visit a planet where your design would otherwise clash with the aesthetic, so, for example, there is a time where you go to the Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Halloween Town, it's so good. And, you know, Sora's, like, bright primary colors would definitely clash with that. So they they give him a more Halloween spooky, almost like a vampire type of look. So he, he doesn't clash. And, like, it honestly, it, it gets you into the uh, the world that you're that you're inhabiting. It's a really nice, like, I, I can't really properly describe it. But, like, in addition to not clashing visually... It's also kind of cool because it's like, ooh, I got a new design. I'll I'll play around in here because yeah. it feels inviting. And I don't believe that happens for every 
world. No, no. But they do it for uh, like the the night before Christmas one. They do it for the Pirates of the Caribbean one. They, they don't do it for the Pirates of the Caribbean one. I think that's the problem. Oh, that's with right. That world. That's right. I was like, uh, I was like, surely they do it for the Pirates of the Caribbean nope. one. And then, I, and then I remembered how much you stick out in that world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, ignoring that one, it, Pirates, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, The Little Mermaid. Let's see. Uh, in the in the later games, Toy Story and Monsters Inc. Uh, you get redesigned for those. No, it's it's a it's a really good job. Oh, I think in Kingdom Hearts three, uh, when you go to the parts of the Caribbean world, you don't your art style doesn't change, but you wear more piratey clothing. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. You're still okay. real bright compared to the rest of that world. Yeah, but it's not as jarring just through the uh the wardrobe change. Last last thing uh regarding Kingdom Hearts t- uh one sorry, uh so. I love Final Fantasy VII. I feel like I've established that <laughs> um, in previous episodes. One of the characters in Final Fantasy VII, the main character of Final Fantasy VII, Cloud, he shows up in Kingdom Hearts, and you know they they kind of futz with the uh, the design of every character that is from a Final Fantasy game that shows up in Kingdom Hearts. But uh, Cloud sticks out to me because. They took the design elements from a character in Final Fantasy VII, Vincent, um, and they added those to Cloud to give him more of a mysterious, like, world-weary feel. Um, and Square Enix has released a action figure of this design called Cloud Another Form. And it's real dumb. It's He has, like, a cape, and, like, his, his normally gloved hand is now, like, a claw. And he has, like, a little gargoyle wing sticking out from under the cape but i i really love it and as a kid i thought it was awesome it's it's a nice way of like taking this classic character because other than these additions he's very much like it's his design from final fantasy 7 which is a really cool and instantly recognizable character design they just decided to slap some some extra shit on it (laughs) and they also do my absolute favorite thing that makes no sense and is really stupid but they wrap his big fuck off buster sword in bandages (laughs) i always forget about that and like i don't know why (laughs) it's a really dumb thing that it happens in anime a lot and i don't know why they do it but i I would be lying if if i said it wasn't my favorite much well i'm thinking about like like maybe it happens in Rurouni Kenshin, but I'm trying to like I. It's a trope that I know I've seen in other action anime, but I can't. And of course, now that I'm saying this out loud, I can't think of which ones. But like, I definitely believe, I believe it happens. I just I can't think off the top of my head like where. But yeah, it it it's just it's dumb, but like it it leaves an impression. <laughs> All right, what was the next game? Dark Souls. Or are we uh, doing Playbill? Oh, let's let's do the Playbill. Let's remember how this show runs and <laughs> do our due diligence. So join us in the Playbill where we talk about other shit. Oh, oh thank God I landed in this theater seat. Uh, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done on a podcast. <laughs> no, I really liked that. <laughs> You shut up. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us in the Playbill. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, it really means the world to us that we have an audience for this show where we get to talk about shit that just gets us going. But now is where we talk about other things that we're doing. Hey, Dylan, you know that whole uh, that that 
Neon Genesis Evangelion thing came out on Netflix and Evangel Lion. It it kickstarted my interest in older mecha anime. Do you have any recommendations about a mecha anime I could watch and a podcast to listen along with it? Well, it just so happens <laughs> that I am part of a podcast called Dude You Remember Macross. That oh, is D U D E. Um where I talk with your friend and mine, uh, our mutual friend and gentleman and a scholar, Coop. And we we talk about this show, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. It was a very big show in Japan in the 80s, and it was adapted into an Americanized version called Robotech, also in the 80s. And it is a fascinating show that kind of talks about... it. it there's a conflict between humans and aliens, uh, the... Peace, not peaceful humans, but like humans as we know them. And then, like, you know, there's this warfaring race called the Zentradi. And the conflict between them kind of brings up questions about, like, what makes us human? Uh, we talk about, like, pop culture and music and the concept of love. It's a romance story that's got everything. Uh, but anyway, um, it's a really cool show. We, we just wrapped up the first series. Um, and gave our final thoughts and opinions on it. So, it's fun, and if you want to hear us talk about it, uh, you should check us out on anchor.fm slash dudeyouremember. Uh, we are also now on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, our Twitter handle is at dudeyouremember. Again, that is D-U-D-E. Yeah, you should also go and show some love to our friends over at the Unexplored Places, an actual play podcast. Um, as I understand it, either... The day that this episode comes out or the next day is the day that they're releasing their finale of season one, which is incredible. And, like, congrats to them because it's been a really fun show to listen to. Yeah. Um, and just last night, as of our day recording this, Dylan and I both logged into a Discord channel to record with them for the character creation section for their season two. Uh, Ooh. We can't say anything more about that right now, but it's going to be real fucking good. I'm so excited. I am super excited. So um, be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a really great show. You should also like go and listen to uh, season one of Unexplored Places. I've been re-listening to it at work, and it's mm. super fucking good. You can find them on Twitter at UnexploredCast or at unexploredcast.libsyn.com, and you should go show them some love, drop some iTunes reviews, do all that good shit. I also want to throw out that Chris will be a regular for season two, so definitely, definitely tune in I'm for his so dulcet tones if you're already a fan. Mm. I um, will, I will be a sporadic appearance. Other things, I I've been getting some uh, some casting offers, and I've I've been my voice is going to be appearing on a number of upcoming podcasts in nice. uh, major to minor uh, situations. The one that I know is coming out soon. You should be listening to Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. It's I would be saying this even if I wasn't in it. It is one of the best audio dramas I've ever listened to. It's <laughs> incredible. It's got some of the best sound design in, like, the medium. They do some really cool stuff. Uh, and I'm super honored that I got to be a part of it. And if you are, if you listen to it all the way to the end, in at some point in probably a month or two, uh, when the season wraps and episode 12 comes out, you'll get to hear me screaming my head off in one of the most fun recording situations I ever got to do. So you should definitely be giving them some love. They're on Twitter at Unwell Podcast, or you can find them on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Show them some love, drop some drop some support. Uh, it's a really cool show. And we have a Patreon to plug. It's there if you want to give us... <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I feel bad being like, give us money, yes. Um, because that's not cool. And, you know, everyone's situation is different. And not everyone wants to throw money into a podcast. And that's totally helpful, fair. Helpful reminder that we do have a Patreon if you feel like throwing a dollar yeah, away but like, or something. If you like what no, we do, but... if you want to show us some love, if you want to help us do things like increase our mic quality or be able to take more time to devote to this show and making other shows in the future, whatever we manage to do with the money. Once we hit our next goal, we'll be able to start paying for like transcriptions to happen of the old episodes because God knows yeah. I don't have the time or the expertise to do that to a good job of that. Consider throwing us some money. We've recently hit the point where we hit our first goal, which means that this is now a, a listener-supported show. We are not paying out of pocket for any of the expenses related to web hosting or anything, and that is incredible. And thank you to everyone who has already pledged to make that happen. If you like what we do and you want to support it in a genuine and fungible way, that's a great way to do it. If you can't, we totally get it. We love you anyway. Yeah. Consider sharing the show around. Consider Absolutely it dropping no a review pressure. on iTunes. <laughs> all of those things all of those things help us just as much as the actual monetary donations, if not more. That's all I've got in the uh in the playbill, so we will hop back into the okay. meat of the episode now, I think. So to jump back into our topic on this idea of like how character design changes and how those changes affect what we think of the character and where the character's at. Another interesting thing to look at is moving from game to game. Which we we and, did a little bit with uh Sora. But specifically with things like reboots and reimaginings and anything like that. Uh, there's a, a lot of great examples of this. Redesigning characters between games is frequently a necessity because maybe you're working in a new engine, maybe you're designing for a new platform, whatever it happens to be. But as with all things, when you take a little time to think about how you're going to do this redesign and how you're going to use it to influence where the character is, you can get some really cool shit. Being me, I'm going to talk about God of War because and being me, I have a brand. I'm going to talk about Devil um, May Cry because I have a brand. We, yeah. <laughs> we are brand loyal here. Um, God of War 2018, I have talked about a lot on this show. I think it's a great game. The way they handle Kratos' redesign is so fucking good. His character design in God of War 2018 is so evocative of a man trying to not be what he was. He's got these bandages wrapped around his forearms where he used to like have the chains for the Blades of Chaos. And there's a point later on in the game where like you see the scars, but there's very early on a moment of him like noticing one has come loose and very pointedly retying it your starting outfit and whatever gear you put on you always has this you can see like the tattered remnants of that like greek panoply armored skirt that he wore that like is now old and ratty, oh, I but never he's still wearing realized. it it's so good he's his design has changed he's like much larger and much like you know god of war for the playstation 2 he looks like a beefy underwear model, essentially. God of War 2018, he's still ripped, but he's like, he looks, it's the difference between looking like a bodybuilder and looking like a power lifter. They have redesigned his, his model to sell this sense of, like, power. And maybe he's not as fast, but he's like, he's got the heft to swing this massive fuck-off axe that yeah. is your weapon for most of the game. It's just this great sense of, like, this is something, clearly a very different stage of his life this is clearly a very different attitude that you can see just through the way he moves and the way that he has chosen to like 
dress himself, and I love it because it does all of that while also all of those choices help it to fit into that Norse aesthetic. When you think about Vikings, you don't think about underwear models with big rippling pectorals. You think about big bears of <laughs> dudes on longships. And so that's what Kratos has become to fit into this, Nor this Norse mythology world that it is now taking place in. That's my that's my five minutes on okay. God of War. I fucking cool. love that game. Um, I guess something else. <laughs> I have to now do my five. This, this the, the show was always this, wasn't it? <laughs> like our second episode was God yeah. of War and Devil May Cry. <laughs> Devil May Cry uh, 3. <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned, a, we talked about it in the second episode of the show, but it is a prequel to the first game and, and stars a much younger, uh, brattier, more boisterous Dante. And so his design in Devil May Cry 3, I think the way the game starts is he literally just comes out of the shower. So he's like, he's wearing his, uh, you know, his requisite leather pants because he needs them. Um, and then he just kind of toss, he gets the call to adventure and then he just tosses on his coat um, and just goes right outside. So he's wearing a leather long coat, leather pants, and no shirt, and he's just like, all right. Big fuck-off red and leather duster, like, all right, yeah, so let's good. Go. He also sports a bit more of a, I don't know what to call the haircut, but, like, he, it's it's clear that, like, he doesn't put a lot of effort into his hair. He just has, like, basic bangs and, like, shoulder-length hair. When you beat the game, uh, there is, in the ending, he is redesigned to look like his uh, Devil May Cry 1 counterpart, where he... His clothing is a bit more, a bit more what I think when I think of like, eighteen hundreds vampire hunter. That's kind of the look he sports in the first game. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Lots of belts. Lots of uh, belts. Straps for like guns and other devil hunter tools and what have you. Yeah. Rolls in straps. Um, and you know his haircut in the first game was kind of blocky because lower poly, but uh, you could tell like he was putting a little bit more effort into his appearance. And so it's it's a nice, like, we've come full circle. And in addition, in Devil May Cry 3, when you beat the game and started uh, start over on, like, a higher difficulty or whatever you want to do, you have the option to uh, play with that Devil May Cry 1 design. So it's it's this nice feeling of, like, you've you've gotten through, he's, he's, he's grown. Yes. And so, Dylan, now I have to ask, DMC Devil May Cry. Uh, just the design in general? I want, I, yeah, like... We're talking about we're talking a lot about examples of this where like it works well and it's it's fitting. I have not played there for those of you who don't know, they did like a reboot right after Devil yeah. May Cry four. Uh the next Devil May Cry game was just called Devil May Cry, but like in big letters above that it was just DMC, yeah. so that's what it's taken to being called. And it was controversial um, so to say I, the least. I won't shit on DMC Devil May Cry too much. Yeah, I'm not asking you to shit on it. I'm just I'm curious about your opinions on that design and how how you felt that. Honestly, fits into I had more issues with his personality. Uh, his design, his design is fine. That's honestly. totally fair. It's like he wears this Dante. Like in terms of character, he's a bit more of a douchebag. Um, I mean Dante in Devil May Cry three was a douchebag, but like he was a very different type of douchebag. It's it's easier to uh, explain if you've seen both cutscenes uh, from both games, but um, yeah, no, Dante in uh, DMC Devil May Cry, he's 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 kind of rocking a, a wife beater under a really baggy jacket. Um, I can't remember if it's a trench coat or not, but uh, he his haircuts like it's a very British punk type of haircut. 
It's like yeah. a severe undercut. Yeah. But like not a long um, one. Honestly, it's fine because I know they wanted to do something like very distinctly different from the established Dante. I, 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 I'm sorry that like I'm floundering a bit, but like honestly, I my opinion is that like it's fine for what they were going for. <laughs> That's fair. And I, I kind of sprung this on you. Ha- mm-hmm. Not being a fan of the Devil May Cry series, having not like played a ton of them, I honestly really like the design choice. In DMC Devil May Cry, like I, I think I, the character designs look fine with like some, some exceptions. Yeah, like don't. I, I'm not saying that it no, is I know. better or not than you know the traditional Dante, but I actually like. I thought it was a really cool take on the character that then apparently just like the game didn't do very the, interesting. Okay, so with. I guess the biggest issue that a lot of Devil May Cry fans have that, uh, as a fan base, we have trouble expressing is that like. A lot of uh, Dante's insults, and sorry to get on this tangent, but uh, a lot of the insults that no, uh, Dante interesting. flings at the end, like, there's something very fun and lighthearted and easygoing about the way Dante is a douchebag in Devil May Cry 3. Yeah, He's it's, sort of it's Spider-Man very Spider-Man-esque. He's like a slightly more yeah. dickish uh, whereas Spider-Man. in DMC Devil May Cry, it just feels more mean-spirited. <laughs> Like, Dante is a very mean-spirited character in that game. So it was less that, like, the design or the gameplay was off. It was the treatment of the Well, the gameplay also, you know, as a casual Devil May Cry fan, I don't think it would bother me as much. But, like, there is a level of depth depth in uh, Devil May Cry 4, uh, specifically, that uh, the reboot wasn't really able to capture. It's, It's not... I we don't need to get into that now, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I was just I was curious about that felt mm-hmm. kind of like the elephant in the room with uh, regards to this topic yeah, in Devil yeah. May Cry. <laughs> that's up. that's fair. The last thing we wanted to touch on before we uh, let y'all go: a trend in a lot of modern games that fits into this discussion a little bit, and it's the idea of uh, to use the term that sort of kicked it off: fashion souls. So in the game series Dark Souls. There are a lot of gear that you can get. There's a lot of different armor designs. There's a lot of different things. And to a certain point, what you wear comes down very much to personal preference. Dark Souls is a game that does a very good job of not having... There is gear that is better than other gear, but there is not gear that is better empirically. It's gear that's better for particular styles of play. Because Dark Souls is all about, like figuring out the way that makes sense for you to play and then statting yourself and gearing yourself up appropriately. And so there's been this trend of, like, fans of the series starting to wear gear that maybe is not the best, but is rather the gear that they think looks the coolest and the gear that they think reflects their character and their particular Dark Souls hero the most accurately. And that's really fucking cool. (laughs) Because it's basically putting the power of this sort of uh, character design and, like, visuals being evocative of the character in your hands because you're the person coming up with this character. Yeah, And a lot of RPGs do this, but I think Dark Souls is a yeah uh, a good example because, you know, there is a term for fashion souls where it is this idea of self-expression of like how you play your character yeah it de- it's it's been around like people have been doing it ever since there's been rpgs with like good looking 
aesthetic armor choices to be made. Uh, but Dark Souls provided a kind of unique point for it, again, for having that focus on, like, there's not really a, you know, other than the obvious, like, this is a broken sword you found on a skeleton, there's not, like, objectively wrong weapon mm-hmm. or armor choices. Um, um, I also know that it is fun for char- uh, for players to cosplay as characters they come across in the game. There is an element of that, because, like, you can find... I no, thought no, for a minute you were talking about, like, in real life cosplay, and no, I was like, with, well, yes, Dylan, of course there is. <laughs> yeah, like, there's definitely, in most games, you can find the armor that bosses or particular NPCs are wearing and just get them. And so you can, like, if you really like the Farron Legion in Dark Souls 3, you can get their armor after you beat them and just look like them. And it's quite cool. And, like, you can mix and match your favorite aesthetic pieces for out of like the helmets and the chest pieces and the legs and the uh arms and like find a style that like you like and the beautiful thing is it might not be the most efficient for your play style but it's you can still play the game and you can beat the game looking however you want and that's really cool just as a a a nice little like series that touches on this in a really nice way the Legend of Zelda. They've redesigned Link so many goddamn times. <laughs> and every time, or at least most every time, it do- they do a really good job of doing it in a way that fits the tone of the story. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, ah, yes, the way that they modeled the 16-bit sprite in A Link to the Past shows clear character development because, like... Or the the green trimmings of the rim of his hat in this game is so much different from the green trimmings of his head in no, this game. No, of course not. Yeah. But think about, like, Link in Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. When they went to that uh, cel-shaded style and they emphasized that cartoonishness, that Link was so expressive. Yeah. Like, they have, like, Breath of the Wild Link is almost as expressive as Wind Waker Link. Yeah. And they did so much with that and used that design to such effect to sell that, like, this is a kid on an adventure. And, like, that's great. And then Twilight Princess, say what you will about the game. They really leaned into a more realistic aesthetic with that. And Link's design and the way that you can see, like, the chainmail peeking out under his tunic and things like that. That really helps to sell this more serious and more, like... Attitude era. Yeah, like, for lack of a better word, slightly edgier version of Hyrule that they were selling with that game. And then now... With uh, in the in the wake of this year's E3, everyone's talking about Princess Zelda's redesign for Breath of the Wild Ganondorf. too. What? Nothing. I was just I was teasing rehydrated Ganondorf. Rehydrated and big, big, sexy, thirsty Ganon daddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like Zelda, it's a very similar design to her design in Breath of the Wild as much as you see of her, mostly in flashbacks. But then there's, like, elements of she look, you know, she's wearing her traveling boots. She's got her hair cut short to be a little bit more ready. There's a lot, like, we have seen snippets of this character, and it has spawned so much fan speculation about her being playable in the sequel and her, like, what her role is going to be in this game. And if that doesn't speak to the power of a good character design, I don't know what does. Mm. And I everyone really... wanting to fuck the mummy. I 
Don't fuck the mummy. <laughs> At least wait for him to get some water first. Yeah, yeah let him let him soak in the tub for a bit. <laughs> anyway, oh God, that's our Mom show for Dad, this week. I know you're li- like if you are listening to this episode, like I'm not giving you any context. Don't even ask me. <laughs> go on go on twitter uh that'll do it that'll do it for this for this week we hope you had fun listening to us uh go deep on this very particular aspect of how character stories are told dylan anything you want to leave us with other than don't fuck the mummy nah all right i I don't don't fuck the mummy stand the test of time yeah thank you again as always for listening to backstage gaming if you like what we're doing please feel free to check us out at our website bsgpod.com we've got all our episodes there we've got info about me and dylan we've got contact form if you want to get in touch with us and if you like what we're doing check us out on itunes check us out on stitcher spotify uh the google play store leave us some itunes reviews and ratings and help us uh, climb those charts and get more listens it really like more than anything else if you can take the time to write up a nice r- review and drop a rating, it will really help. And that is a huge step to getting us to get more listens. So that would be an incredibly helpful thing. And we really appreciate you taking the time to do that and just to listen. And we we love talking to you every week. Hey, Dylan, what's our social media handles? Um, Yeah, I mean, if you want to check us out on social media, you should check out our Facebook, our Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. You know, if you want to talk about uh, the stuff we do, maybe talk about some redesigns in games that you like, uh, you should yeah. use that hashtag BSGpod. Also, if you like the key art that we use, uh, that was provided to us by our friend Brennan French. Uh, you should definitely check out his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. Or you can check him out on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. He's got a couple recent releases out that are both phenomenal. He put out an EP a few months ago called Post-Human Angst, and then just a few weeks ago he dropped an EP that he produced featuring a bunch of art of uh, hip-hop artists and rappers from around the country and the world that's like... It's so fucking cool. I've heard some of it. It's pretty It's pretty it's, fun jams. It's really good. Um, and you should totally show him some love. Uh, he's got all of his stuff up on Spotify. If you search BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or you should check out his SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. Again, one more quick plug. If you have the means, if you like what we do, if you want to show us some love and encourage us to do better things and do more work and uh, up our up our production value and all that good stuff consider dropping some love as our, at our patreon patreon.com slash bsg pod uh every dollar makes a huge difference and again i i'm still not over how cool it is that y'all are supporting all of our like necessary overhead at this point that is that is so, so nice. humbling and so cool and we really appreciate it um so yeah check that out if you want we've got some different reward tiers we've got like a discord server where people hang out and, and chat about what they're playing and what they're watching and i would love to have more of y'all in there so show give that a look and with all that said and done thank you for listening and we will talk to you again next week goodbye goodbye all don't fuck the mummy i mean you can if you want to but get his consent <laughs> first <laughs>